have a copy of your scriptures, please turn to Psalm 81. Psalm 81. Typically, when we come to preach the Psalms, we've gone through almost 80 of them now. 81 is the next Psalm that our church is going to study and, and hear preached from. And Psalm 81 is an interesting Psalm, partly because some people say it's the central Psalm. Now, of course, 74 and a half, you would say is central if you're thinking numerically. But Dr. Bob Godfrey likes us to think poetically when we come to the Psalms. And one of the things that he mentions is, if you think poetically, the Psalter is five books. This is the third book in the Psalter. So the Psalms are set up as, as five different books, much like our Trinity Hymnal. There's a section for Christmas music and a section for the resurrection. This is how the Psalter is laid out. And this would be the central psalm in the third book. Many believe this is the central psalm of the Psalter, which is very fun to think of it that way because it's a very fun festival psalm. Might have been the children's favorite psalm, which we'll get to in a little bit. You'll also see the superscription here, the title is to the choir master according to the Giddeth of Asaph. Now, I believe it was Psalm 74 I went over in detail. I'm not going to go into detail, but Asaph was the choir master that King David assigned to do the worship in the tabernacle. Of course, when David passed away, so did Asaph. But Asaph had a lot of sons. And they continued on in that tradition. Even in the book of Ezra, we see as they came back into the land, in chapter 2, as he's naming the different people, Asaph had 128 different family members. So the Asaph tradition is very strong in Israel. Very, very gifted men who could sing, and according to this psalm, love percussion instruments. And praise the Lord for that, right? We love percussion instruments. So with that said, let's ask the Lord to bless the reading of Psalm 81. And let's ask the Lord to, to let us see Christ in this psalm. Christ is all over the psalms, especially Psalm 81. So let's ask the Lord to reveal himself to us through his word as he does so clearly every Lord's Day morning. Father, we come before you once again. You are the holy God of the universe. You could have chosen for us just to stay in our sins. But in your kindness, you came down and you meet with us. You save us. You deliver us. You treat us as your children, though we mock you. You love us, O oh God, and we praise you for this. You have stooped down on your knee as a father would to his children. And you teach us, O oh God. You feed us. You give us sustenance. And Father, we praise you for this. We're thankful for your son, as we just read. He is the one mediator the one that we go to, Father, to get to you. We pray that through the preaching of Psalm 81 that we would see you, we would see this psalm, we would understand it in context. I pray, oh God, I don't skip over the context of this psalm, that we could see it in context. But at the same time, we see your son Christ, oh God. We pray that if someone doesn't have joy today, as we already have confessed to you, we know it's a sin. 
But sometimes, Father, we can't get it, so we need your help. Please help us to find that joy, O oh God. Help us to see your Son, Christ. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Psalm 81, to the choir master, according to the Giddeth of Asaph. Sing aloud to God our strength. O shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre, and with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon on our feast day. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Hear, O my people, why I admonish you. O Israel, if you would but listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. I am the Lord your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open wide your mouth, and I will fill it. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. So I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward him, and their fate would last forever. But he would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock I would satisfy you. And thus sends the reading, the very words of God. In 2003... In Sherman, Texas, there was this very large conference called One Day. And as I was a youth pastor on the West Coast, I had some students that went to our church, some college students, some went to UC Davis, and some went to Cal Poly. And they said, Travis, we must go. I said, yeah, but we have to camp out. <laughs> and they said, there'll be 30,000 students camping out. You have to go. I was like, yeah, but we're camping out. It's going to be fun. So I said, okay, we'll make that trek all the way to Sherman, Texas and camp out to, to hear great preaching, to worship the Lord with other people. And I thought, this is probably the mindset of many who are coming to Jerusalem to worship during the festival of booths or the festival of tents. This is what they did. And you didn't know there were three major festivals in the Old Testament that the Jews, when they lived other places, all able-bodied men and sometimes their wife and sometimes their children would make their way over to Israel. Of course, one was the Passover celebration, which you know happens around Easter at the end of March, April. Right around that time was the Passover celebration. And then, right at the end of May and June, the fruit started popping up off the vines and they started having fruit. So they had Pentecost, the first fruit. So everybody would come to Jerusalem and, and worship there. But the children's favorite time was the Festival of Booths. Because they get to camp out. Right? This signified what took place in the wilderness. God rescued Israel out of Egypt. They're enslaved for over 400 years. 
and he brings them into the wilderness and they're moving around. They camp out, right? They set up their tents and they're looking and then they're waiting for that pillar of cloud to move. They might have been there five days, eight days, maybe three days. Read through Exodus. If you know the exact days, let me know. I'm trying to search it out of my mind. But they're constantly moving and moving and moving and moving. And they have to pack up their, their tents and they'd go and then they'd put them back up. And the children loved this festival. They absolutely loved it. They got to camp out with their dad and their mom. And they said, is this how they used to live in the desert? Yes, this is what they did. They wandered around in that hot desert and God provided for them. God gave them food. God gave them water. God gave them shade. God gave them heat. And kids, if we trust in God, He'll take care of us too. Now you may be asking, Travis, why are you so sure that this was the festival of booths? Look at verse 3. Blow the trumpet at the new moon at the full moon on our feast day. There's only one festival where there was a new moon and a full moon, and it took place in September at the very beginning of October. That would have been the festival of booths, or the feast of tents. Now, Hinstenberg says yes, but he doesn't want me to preach this way, but all the other commentaries said it, and I'm trying to figure out why he would disagree, because he's still the greatest commentary on the Psalms. But no matter what you take it, it was sung at least, because they sung the Psalter on the Festival of Tents. And as I think about this, and they're, they're gathering in Jerusalem, and they're singing this psalm, and it was written to think about how they were wandering in the wilderness. You need to understand that there were terrible circumstances in the desert. I wonder if you've ever been to a desert. It's cold at night, and it's hot during the day. There's not a lot of food. You can't go hunting. But God provided for them in a wasteland. The second thing that took place in that wilderness was this testing of the church. And I don't know if you know this or not, but Stephen, the first deacon or the apostle's assistant, in Acts 7.38, actually calls it the church in the wilderness. He sees that as the church in the wilderness. Israel, like us, they've been delivered. Israel was delivered. They were enslaved. God brought them out of slavery. And now is their testing. And my question to you is, what's it going to be for you? This psalm has to apply to the church today. God has inspired it for us to have, for us to sing, for us to know and you too are like Israel in this wilderness. And you could imagine, with everything you know, we know a lot more than they knew. But let's say we did have the festival again and we're camping out and we're thinking about it. You have to ask yourself, okay, what am I going to do now I'm in the wilderness? Am I going to stay the course? Am I going to persevere? Am I going to keep worshiping Jesus Christ? Or will I be like most of the people who died in the wilderness? And if you're taking notes, there's three movements in this psalm. One is God commands our joy. Isn't that interesting how the law of God was about confessing sin and not having joy? And here comes this text bearing upon us saying what? God commands your joy. The second thing we'll see is God deserves 
All honor. Every bit of it. Every bit of the glory. God deserves all honor. And the third thing we'll see is God offers us satisfaction. God offers us satisfaction. As we look at God commanding our joy, there's something about singing and joy that goes hand in hand. I don't know if you've ever been to Fort Pulaski, but there's a monument in the back where John Wesley preached his first sermon on American soil. And we sing a lot of John Wesley and Charles Wesley songs. And if you really want to understand the Wesley brothers, this man wrote a whole biography on the Wesleys, and he, and he spoke about the Wesleys as they were traveling to Georgia across the Atlantic. There was a massive storm that they rode through. And as that storm was riding through, it says the Moravians, who were not British, they were German, they were staunch sovereignty of God, men and women. They were staunch people who believed so much in the sovereignty of God. They were willing to go to any country and share the gospel. They were making their way across the Atlantic, and the Wesleyans were, were watching, the Wesley brothers were watching the Moravians have a worship service on this boat. They were singing loud. And this one biographer said, the ship's mainsail was torn to ribbons, the sea broke over the vessels, I mean, it was pouring over onto the decks and the English passengers cried out in terror. They were afraid. But the Moravians looked up and kept singing. They couldn't stop. They knew God was in charge. They knew God was sovereign. And Charles Wesley said that moment really affected him. And 11 years later, as he's retelling that story of how much joy the Moravians had, even in the midst of the chaos, he said, I couldn't help but to think, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. And he penned that song as he said he thought about the joy of the Moravians. And when we sing, God is wanting us to sing with joy. As a matter of fact, he commands that we sing with a joyful heart. Look at verse 1. Sing aloud to God our strength. Shout for joy to the God of Jacob. Raise a song. Sound the tambourine, the sweet lyre with the harp. Blow the trumpet at the new moon, at the full moon, on our feast day. Listen, God cares and demands your joy. Oh, he loves to hear you sing. He loves to hear you praise him so much he wants you to have joy. He commands it and makes it a law. Look at verse 4 or 5. For it is a statute for Israel, a rule of the God of Jacob. He made it a decree in Joseph when he went out over the land of Egypt. I hear a language I had not known. They're in Egypt. When the Israelites were hearing this, this tongue, they, they did not completely understand. And some of the Egyptians actually came out of Egypt with the children of Israel. He says, you praise me with joy. You sing with the heart that loves me. This is his statue. This is his law. This is his rule. See, and God just doesn't care about your allegiance, though he demands it. He says you do it with joy. You know, there's a word for doing something only out of duty. There's a word for that. Webster would define it as behavior that contradicts what one claims to believe or feel. You know that word. It's the word hypocrisy. 
doing something only out of duty. Do you remember what Jesus said to those who were doing things only out of duty? He looked at them in Matthew 15, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and he says, you hypocrites. Isaiah was right when he said this about you. You honor me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. You worship me in vain. God didn't want the Pharisees just checking a box. He doesn't want us just checking a box, coming to church because we have to, giving money because we have to, doing everything because we have to, or curmudgeons. No! God doesn't need you to worship. Remember, they were praising Jesus as he comes in singing, Hosanna, Hosanna, praise the Lord. And, and what did the Pharisees say? You, you rebuke your disciples. He says, look here, if they went sing, the rocks would cry out. God doesn't need us to. He gives us the opportunity. He absolutely loves his children to sing from the heart. He wants us to have joy. Do, do you remember what kept Jesus on the cross? It wasn't just law keeping. You know, get me? He, he kept the law. It was the curse that put him there. It was our sin that put him there. But do you remember what Hebrews said? The writer of Hebrews and and chapter 12 said of why Jesus stayed on that cross and endured the, the shame and the suffering, it was for the joy that was set before him. It was his joy that kept him on the cross. The joy of knowing that he's going to bring people like you and me, sinners, to the Father. And we're going to sing out of that heart. We're going to have joy. We're going to experience that joy. Spurgeon would say, Jesus screamed, so you and I can sing. Remember, he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He screamed. You and I just sing now. We know that we will not be forsaken. It was the joy that kept Jesus there. And my question is, are you joyless today? If you are, Psalm 81 is for you. Psalm 81 is for you. Not only did God command it, but he, but he provides that which he commands which he does all throughout Scripture. He provides that joy in Christ. Which brings us to the second part of this sermon, is that God deserves all honor. I was thinking of Psalm 81, and I was reminiscing of when I first became a youth pastor, and I remember some of my students were wearing these shirts that said, Jesus is my homeboy. I was young, but I hated that shirt. I said, you can't wear that shirt anymore. No more. I said, outlaw, my first rule. No more shirts that say, Jesus is my homeboy. And I had parents say, Travis, could you help us understand? Our kids are in school, and they want to be a good testimony. They want to be outreaching. And I wasn't Presbyterian enough to know that. It's always caused trouble in the Presbyterian church. But anyway, I was like, I have homeboys. As a matter of fact, my homeboy sits on the front row of a movie theater, and I see him, the first thing I do is I take my thump, I thump him in the ear really hard. I used to thump real hard. I'm still pretty good at thumping. I played a lot of thumping games when I was in high school. And I would thump that ear real hard, and they go, oh, and it would get a little red. And if they saw me, you better watch out. They're going to come up behind me, and they're going to thump my ear. And I'm like, oh, he got me good. He got me good. Stupid game men play. I don't know why we play these games like this. That's how I treated my homeboys. We don't thump the ear of Jesus. We worship Jesus. 
Mary understood where she came from. She wept and wiped his feet with her very tears. We worship and adore and honor God. He has delivered us. What Calvin says, and I'll summarize it because his language is greater than mine, but he says the greater the bondage, the greater the freedom. He says the reason in Psalm 81, a lot of people treat God as if he's just a friend, though he is our friend, is because you don't remember where you came from. You don't remember how much bondage you actually had in your life. Like when you get a speeding ticket, most of you don't go get an attorney for your little cheap speeding ticket. You only get an attorney when it's serious charges. And your charges were serious. You had sinned before a holy God. You were in bondage to sin. If you think of the children of Israel in Exodus, Joseph meant nothing to the king of Egypt. There's a new sheriff in town, basically. Joseph, you were great. I know the Pharaoh loved you. But your people... There's a new sheriff in town. They don't mean anything to me. As a matter of fact, Exodus was tell us that he put slave masters and oppressed them with forced labor because of how many people they were, because of the blessings they were receiving. The very blessings is what keyed, oh, we're going to have to destroy these people. And he tried to kill them with forced labor. And if that wasn't enough, let's have the midwives kill the sons that are born to the Jewish women. Over 400 years, forced labor, seven days a week. Oh, they loved that Sabbath day, didn't they? Seven days a week, forced labor. They were in terrible bondage. And look what God did to them in verse 6. I relieved your shoulder of the burden. Your hands were freed from the basket. Literally, what did they do the majority of the day as they built Phytham and Ramesses? They carried mortar for the bricks. They carried the mortar all day long. Heavy, heavy, heavy mortar. Whips, you're going to build it. You're going to build it. You're going to build it. If someone dies, that's fine. Move them out of the way. And another person would just come in line and step in. Every day. And God says, you honor me. I delivered you. I personally came and delivered you. You know he does that to your bondage? He does that to your sin? Have you had that bondage before? Have you made promises to God? Have you ever told God, this is the last time? You ever made that promise? This is the last time I'm doing it ever again. If you've made that promise more than once, but I think all of us have, then you know what bondage is. You know what it is. Because we all make deals with God because we know how great our sin actually is. God says, look to me. I have delivered you from this very bondage. He frees us from that heavy load that we are carrying. Jesus says what? My yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you want relief from your sin, brothers and sisters? You've come to the right place, Psalm 81. You've come to see that God has delivered Israel and He will deliver you. Look at verse 7. In distress you called, and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place of thunder. Wait a minute. Secret place of thunder? A.W. Pink has an entire section in his book, The Great Baptist 
on how God hides and conceals his power. Habakkuk 3.4 says there's a hiding of his power in the sunlight and the rays. We think lightning and thunder and the hurricanes and the tornado is God showing his power. Habakkuk says it's God hiding it. It's like his hands are hidden and just a little bit of his power comes out. That's how powerful God is. And God says, you honor me. I went down to Egypt. I am the one that delivered you. I'm the one that got you out of your trouble. But yet what? I tested you at the waters of Meribah, Selah. Meribah means quarreling. Do you remember what took place after God delivered them and they wandered in the wilderness for over 40 years? Do you remember what happened? They started quarreling. They were being tested. They said, why did God deliver us just to bring us here to die? God gave them food. God gave them water. God gave them shade. God gave them elders. God gave them a mediator. Gave them everything they needed. And yet what? They kept questioning God. Maybe you're a lot like the Israelites. I know I've been there before. Where you ask yourself the question, did you deliver me just so I would die? God is using whatever circumstances you are in to save you. So that you would give Him glory. But yet, what's the heart of those in the wilderness? Their heart was they kept looking to other gods. They kept wanting to give glory to other gods. They kept seeking help from other people. Do you ever just want to shake someone and go, why are you looking anywhere else but God? Why is He the last place we go to? Look at verse 8. Hear, O my people, while I admonish you, O Israel, if you would just listen to me, there shall be no strange God among you. You shall not bow down to a foreign God. God says, I delivered you. Why are you looking elsewhere? Why do you keep looking elsewhere? He says, I'm the one that delivered you. And it's Christ that delivers us. Yet we keep looking elsewhere for satisfaction, to give glory, when God is the one we honor. Verse 10, I am the Lord your God. Honor me. I'm the one who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Open your mouth wide and I will fill it. Many, I call them heavy hitters like Rayborn and, and uh, Willings and, and different commentaries do not like what I'm about to say. But I'm going to say it anyway because I can't get the image out of my head. You ever seen a robin open their mouth? Like it's really, really wide. And the mama robin flies over and he drops the worm in their mouth. One commentary said this in the 1800s. And everyone goes, I don't like that. But you know, I like it. I don't care. That's the image I see. Much like Psalm 34. Taste and see that the Lord is good. You want God to bless you? Come and open your mouth wide. And he will bless you. He will give you the blessings. I'm not going to sit here and promise you that if you open your mouth wide and God gives you 
the blessing doesn't mean that all of a sudden your circumstances go away. If you're looking for that type of preaching, you're not going to find it here in this pulpit. But let me tell you what I do promise you. Joy and peace. I promise you when you take your last breath and stand before God, you will get more blessings than you ever thought. You'll see every single circumstance was used for God's glory and to get you to heaven. I promise you that beyond a shadow of a doubt. That's what God promises. He will give you joy in Christ, but you must open your mouth wide before God can fill it. We've seen God's command of joy. We see that God deserves all honor. And now we're going to see that God offers us satisfaction. I want you to remember the context of this psalm, that people would flood Jerusalem, they'd be living in these, these tents and the festival of booths, and they'd be thinking about the wilderness wandering, how they were wandering around, wandering around, wandering around. God provided for them, God provided for them, but yet there was this testing. Most of them rejected the Lord, where God is telling the people who are gathering to read and to sing Psalm 81, the original context, they're supposed to remember, you know what? God will take care of you. If you turn back to God, He'll take you back. Don't be like the people in the wilderness. Be different. Be different. God will take you back if you just turn to Him. Don't be like them. So this is an example of what not to be like. Because verse 11 says what? My people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. You can imagine a, a dad sitting down with his kids who are loving the camping situation. Listen, listen. You know all of them perished, right? They never made it to the promised land. They quit believing. They started doubting God. Don't you ever doubt God, no matter how bad the situation gets. No matter how bad it gets, God is on His throne. We've read Psalm 29. We know what it says. God was on the throne in the flood, and He's on the throne now. You remember that. And the kids would say, okay, Dad, I get it. And his dad would just have to keep telling them, remember, 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 don't be like them. As a matter of fact, look at verse 12. It got so bad that God says, I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. That's how bad it was. God gave them what they wanted. Oh, there's a lesson for us. Please, please ask God not to give what you want often. God, please don't give me what I want because oftentimes what I want is not good for me. Have you ever prayed that? It's the same prayer that King David prayed when he asked the Lord to what? Created me a clean heart, O God, and put a new spirit within me. Why? Because he knew his heart was wicked. He knew he needed a new spirit. The problem David knew was his heart. And once our hearts are clean, then we can actually pray, delight thyself in the Lord, and he shall give the desires of our heart. It takes the new heart for us to pray that. If not, God's going to give us what we want, and it never turns out good. Oh, may God give us new hearts. May we not be like the children of Israel who just wanted it their way, and God eventually says, you know what, you want it your way? Have it. And they all perished. But God keeps offering satisfaction to these people. He wants to 
fill them with the Spirit. He wants them to enjoy Him. Look at verse 13. Oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Would they just not listen to me? I'll take them back. If you've learned anything in the book of Jeremiah, even in the midst of that dark pain and the dark days and the first 29 chapters, what do we always see? I'll take them back. Would they just not repent? God would take them back. He saves us to what? Walk in His ways. And when you're not walking in them, you confess your sin. God takes you back. This is the type of God we have. Verse 14. I would soon subdue their enemies and turn my hand against their foes. Verse 15. Those who hate the Lord would cringe toward Him and their fate would last forever. Not only He takes us back, He'll defend us. Imagine a festival. Telling the children this. You know what? God will always take care of this nation as long as we submit to Him. You know what? They didn't always do that. And God gave them what they wanted. You want a wicked king? Have it. Oh, you want to make alliances with other countries and disregard my provision? Do it. Have it then. Have it your way. Israel's trouble always came when they wanted it their way. When they did things right, like in the days of Isaiah and Hezekiah the king and the Assyrian army, you saw what took place. God protected them. You do things the Lord's way, He will protect you. And this is what this festival psalm is teaching. That God will take you back. God wants to satisfy you. If you do things His way, He'll bless you. And look at verse 16, this final verse. But He would feed you with the finest of the wheat, and with honey from the rock, I would satisfy you. You know, yesterday I went to Jalapenos with Matt and Abby Cox and the Prussia family. They were members of our church for a while. They came out to visit. They're here this morning. But I noticed that Matt Cox is still young, 30, and he's really, really strong because he used to be in the military. Like their family, are like weightlifting families, and they're strong. And I noticed that he ordered sweet tea. I'm in my 40s now, and I really got jealous. I wanted some of that sweet tea. I was like, can't have it. Not with my wife sitting next to me. There's no way I'm going to order sweet tea. Isn't there something about going to a restaurant? Yeah, water's great. Isn't there something about sweet tea or Coca-Cola? Something just sweet. No, some of you are cheapskates, don't want to pay the three bucks, and I get that. I don't know why you women are hitting your husbands on the side. But anyway, water's great. How good is sweet tea? Do you know that when God was blessing the Israelites in the wilderness, that he not only gave them water, but he gave them honey from the rock? As a matter of fact, Deuteronomy 32 says, he made him to suck honey out of the rock. Now, Jonathan Edwards, one of his most famous sermons is called Honey from the Rock. And if you'd have been here 10 years ago, we were studying Jonathan Edwards' sermon. It was Honey from the Rock. And Jonathan Edwards would tell us that Christ, we know, is that rock, according to 1 Corinthians 10, that we may also conclude that Christ was that rock mentioned in this text where we get honey from. You've got to understand this. Christ 
not only provides you living water, but he also gives you honey. If you can't picture that, it's because, as Edwards would say, it's because you never tasted honey. You just know what it is. But when you experience the sweetness of honey, you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. That God not only gives you this water from the rock, but Christ gives you this satisfying longing with honey from the rock. He says, I'm just not going to bless you with water. I'm going to give you the finest of the wheat and honey. It's like even greater than water. God is wanting to bless his people. If you're burdened, Jesus Christ will give you that honey. He will satisfy you more than anything in this world. Satisfy you any more than any of your, your passions, any type of thoughts and imagination, anything you could think of, Jesus Christ is better. As we close, I think you remember that trip that I took to Sherman, Texas. I spoke about we were going to go camping with 30,000 other people in these tents. And I had this two-man tent. And I was going to have my own room. I had my own little sleeping bag that was the cooler sleeping bag. Because you have to have two. One for real cold weather and one for moderately cold weather. Right? Went to REI. Got all this stuff. Figured it out. Got my little cot that I was going to sleep on. that had this little cushion. You blew it up. It was really... I was not going to lay on that ground with the rocks. I had my little camping stove I was going to cook. I actually bought some steak. Everybody else was going to eat sandwiches. I'm going to have steak, right? This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to show them what camping is. That evening, Sherman, Texas had one of the worst rainstorms they had in years. Two inches of water rained in a very short amount of time. Our tent had four inches of water in it. Worst camping experience in my life. We had to get in the van and drive to a, not a hotel, it's in Sherman, Texas, we actually went to the motel, right? And if you don't know what that is, you ask your parents. They know, and they don't want to stay in no motel, trust me. But that's where we had to stay, because there was no other places to stay. And I thought, you know, you have these plans, but oftentimes they don't go as they're supposed to go. And I thought about all those people, people came from all over the U.S., we all met there that I knew. I started thinking that one, of course, is a now a Reformed Presbyterian minister in the OPC. There's a couple pastors that are still pastoring. There's one who's a deacon at a church. But there's one person who lost his church due to sexual sin and lost his marriage. Another one right now is dealing with sexual sin who is trying to get his marriage back. And another man questioning leaving the faith. Isn't that like the children in the wilderness, right? You go there, you want to experience this great time with the Lord, but not everybody makes it, do they? And if you see this pattern, if you, if you think this is the central psalm, which I think it is, verse 7 and 8 seems to be the central message. There's a Selah in there, which is a breath mark, but I think it's the center where you read, In distress you called and I delivered you. I answered you in the secret place. I tested you at the waters. Hear, O my people, why I admonish you, O Israel, if you would just listen to me. Do you see not this pattern in the life of Christians, in the life of people? God 
delivers you, and then you want to go back to your sin, and then it seems that, okay, okay, I'm going to get my life back, and you come back to the Lord. I'm not an antinomian, and if you accuse me of that, I'll defend, I hate that. But I will tell you this, you can't outsend God's grace. And God is going to test you in the wilderness. And you'll probably fail a few times. But you know what Jesus does? He takes you back. This is the type of God we have, and this is the type of God we serve. And this psalm is all about, listen, don't be like them. Now's a good time to come back to Christ. Now's a good time to come back because Jesus Christ takes sinners. Let's ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word.